Hello, and welcome to another episode of Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name is Brett. I'm here today with Chris. Huh? David. I'm walking here. And TJ. <laughs> Everybody's talking. TJ. We're going to be talking about last week's homework, which was assigned by David. Right? It was, yeah. Midnight Cowboy. David, why don't you uh, take us through the uh, the plot summary of Midnight Cowboy? Sure. So, Midnight Cowboy, 1969, Best Picture winner, directed by John Schlesinger. Schlesinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, starring John Voight as Joe Buck. He's a Texan uh, guy working as a dishwasher. He quits his job. He wants to head to New York City to become a hustler. He wants to have sex with uh, rich ladies and get paid for it. That's his. Uh, he's kind of naive, but he goes off and he actually becomes in. Uh, he gets in New York City. Uh, one of his first, I guess, kind of tricks he's trying to pull is he gets with this uh, kind of New York socialite kind of person, <clears throat> but in uh, all the awkwardness, he ends up paying her for the night. Not a good showing for <laughs> a hustler. Yep. Um, he ends up uh, meeting Enrico Razzo Rizzo, played by Dustin Hoffman. <clears throat> He's a con man who's got like a limp and takes $20 from him to introduce him to a presumed pimp. But he's actually an unhinged uh, religious guy. He's, uh, I think, uh, Emmett Walsh. Emma Emmett Walsh. I think it's his first oh, movie. I didn't notice him. Yeah. He flees. He's all freaked out. Um, and he's kind of wandering around the city, broke and depressed. Um, the hotel room he's at kind of impounds all of his belongings because he can't pay rent, and he's kind of on the street. He tries to make money by uh, receiving a blowjob from a, uh, a man in a movie theater, but the guy has no money, and uh, he threatens him but lets him go, and then he meets up with Razzo Rizzo as kind of a consolation. He lets him crash in his condemned building where he is squatting, Um they kind of have a business relationship as he's trying to mold him as a hustler, trying to get him, like, uh, you know, he shines his shoes, he tries to give him nice clothing to so that he can, like, uh, hustle some ladies. Um, he, uh, during this, Ratso has a dream of going to Florida. He's sick in New York City. And uh, there's a bunch of, um, bunch of flashbacks and some daydreams and some experimental <laughs> film stuff going on. You find out that Joe Buck has a really fucked up relationship with his grandmother. I guess his mother was never in the picture, and uh, he lost his virginity to like a m- mentally unstable person named like Crazy Annie, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a uh, messed up scene about that. Um, eventually, there's kind of some Andy Warhol types that uh, come upon them, give them a flyer to a party. Uh, Joe. Uh, does pot, I think, for the first time. Yeah. That's a great way to, to put it. Yeah. He does grass to be, I guess, era appropriate. And it takes him on a wild ride. He kind of hallucinates. Like and all marijuana does. Yeah, Ratso is kind of deteriorating at this point. Um, during the party, he just, like, smells like shit. And uh, he's kind of, you know, limping and falling all over the place. Um, he goes to bed with this one girl who finally pays him, and he has she has kind of a connection to the next person he can go to. At this point, uh, Rizzo kind of is on uh, death's door in the, this decrepit building, <laughs> and uh, the thing he wants to do, Joe wants to do for him, is before he dies, take him to Florida, 
<clears throat> so he does one last trick where he there's this old man, older man that he uh, takes up to his the old man's uh, like place he's staying at. I think it's a hotel that he's staying at. He's in town for a conference, and he uh, maybe beats him to death. Maybe beats him within an inch of his life with a phone to steal his money for the trip. And the old man maybe wants it. <clears throat> yeah. And so he's got the money for the bus ride. They go on the bus, and uh, spoiler alert, because uh, <laughs> nothing good happens in this movie, for these characters, uh, Ratso dies before he can see Florida. Yeah. And the uh, movie ends. Yeah, with a bunch of looky-loos staring at him on the bus. Um, one point of uh, clarification, the uh, the crazy old religious guy is played by John McGiver. Is that guy's name? Oh, okay. Not he has an Emmett Walsh quality to him. Yeah, he does. Well, yeah, you can, you can tell that that guy hasn't done a lot of movies because his screenshot on Wikipedia is him in the role of the crazy preacher guy. <laughs> yeah, I think Emmett, this is also uh, this is a couple people's debut film. I think Emmett Walsh is in here for something. It's also Bob Balaban. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wes Anderson guy. I if you don't recognize him in the movie, in a bunch of movies, he's a uh, guest frequenter. Yeah, he's the gay uh, movie theater goer. Can't pay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's gauntlet this thing. Number one, was it entertaining? Did you actually enjoy watching it? Which I think <laughs> is, I think question number one is maybe by far the biggest hurdle for this movie. Because this movie is a is a pill to watch. Yeah, what, was it entertaining? Yes, because I think the performances were great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it enjoyable? No. Uh, this is like a, a about as like the analogy to me is like like surgery. Like it's going to be good for you in the long run, but in the short term, this is going to be fucking awful. Because I think that the, the the Voight and Hoffman are really great. You know, I didn't realize that that was Babyface Voight whenever I would see the clips of the 10 best quotes of all time with the you're walking here. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just like, oh, it was just some young buck, not to make a pun, and Dustin Hoffman delivering Mm -hmm. the infamous line due to an extra's fuck up. Um, But yeah, so I thought the performances were great. Um, And even like, even the the bit roles I thought were acted really well, um, which is... Uh, a great thing to see in a movie that even you know people getting you know a thousand bucks for their performance are really kind of acting their faces off. <clears throat> yeah, I, I yeah it, it's it's a very like miserable miserableist and pessimistic view of humanity, and disp- also I guess on top of that it is extremely uncomfortable um, a lot of the time. And I don't know whether to mention it here or not, but is that has to be the most disgusting portrayal of New York City I've ever seen. I mean, <laughs> yeah, when they're in the decrepit building, I like want to rub myself with Purell just watching it. Yeah, for me, it's like it it, it slides in with like Taxi Driver as the mm-hmm. uh, like the pinnacles of the like the like old New York, old mm-hmm. dirty twentieth century dangerous New York. Yeah. There are parts of Serpico around me up too. Yeah, just the way those like alleys are shot, kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, great performances and uh, crazy that uh, it, it's a very, I guess we'll talk about it later, but very experimental kind of movie to have, you know, be as firmly entrenched in like the AFI and Library of Congress and super stuff. Super yeah. fucking bold for 69. Mm-hmm. Kind of emotional response to get from this movie. 
pure sadness. D- depression. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I pity them more than anything. Mm-hmm. Why Which, though? That's the question I've had. Is like I definitely do, but like, where is that pity driven like from? Is it like because like Buck is like dumb, or just because his childhood was so fucking awful, or because he keeps making like horrible decisions? Like, or is it just all of it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think they're all parts of the whole. Um, you know, you don't really get to hear the backstory of Rizzo. He never really opens up about, you know, much. He says his father was an immigrant that was a shoe shiner and died from, like, right. like inhaling he shoe shine. Like refuses to shine shoes. Yeah. But, yeah. but that could be a take, too. Because yeah. I, I, don't think, yeah. I don't think that the Ratso says an honest word the whole movie. Yeah, that's fair. Even, even the, like, him wanting to go to Florida, I think that's, you know, it's just something to tape up on your wall, the way the kids tape action posters to their wall, or right. Sports Illustrated centerfolds on their wall. Like, it's not like, well, that's what I'm going to get. Um, it's essentially, also, his know, dream is that it, it's not New York City. Right. It's the opposite of New York City. It's a place <laughs> that never gets cold. I know we're in Georgia, we give shit to Florida all the time, but that also made the movie worse. It was just like, God, all they want is to go to Florida <laughs> of all the fucking places. Well, if you're a gigolo, Florida's a great place to go and run your business. Old people with money. Yeah. There's a bunch of like retirees with money who may be like widowed or widowers, like, you know, and New England Patriots owners. <laughs> Florida's a great place for the for the old and lonely. Yeah. To take advantage of the old and lonely. So yeah, yeah I kind of pity them because uh because I want to call him Tex. I know his name's not Tex. Joe. Uh, yeah. But Joe is a uh, Joe Buck. Yeah. <laughs> so, so weird. That's why I, I, I had a hard remembering time. that. Yeah. yeah. But you know he's he is so stupid and he's not he's not I mean he is stupid but he's so out of place and so doesn't understand like the like the real pace of New York City that he's just lost and just keeps getting taken advantage of at every corner and then just befriends the person who takes advantage of him like the least often (laughs) like yeah everyone else is is running they're not con men but they're all conning him like for their one encounter with him it's one of those movies that strikes me it's like the 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 city will just chew you up and spit you out kind of movie because joe goes there with like big aspirations and then immediately everything goes wrong for him and he just finds the one other person who this city or just life in general has just been beating up on for years and years and by the end of the movie they're just trying to escape the place that he was at the beginning he thought was like the where his dreams would come true right um yeah so as first time watchers was this movie what you expected it to be what were your expectations going into this because so I knew a fair bit about it going in. So I wasn't going in looking for a feel-good romp. Yeah. Um, I figured, you know, I knew it won for director. I knew it kind of cleaned up that award season. I think it won BAFTA, too. Yeah, it won yeah. all over. Yeah. I mean, it lost Golden Globe to the, uh, oddly, the movie that I felt like should have won the BAFTA, the Queen Anne, the Anne Boleyn movie from that year. Anne of a Thousand mm. Days or whatever yeah, yeah. it's called. Um but yeah, it was pretty much what I expected because I was like, well, it's got to be carried by the direction and by Voight and Hoffman and that's what it was. Um, I guess I've, I've touched on this. It's, 
for for being as like entrenched as like a iconic American film as it is, it was so much more experimental than I thought. I mean, there's the Andy Warhol party is just psychedelic trip, yeah. but there's also the, the hit, how his memory works and the flashes going back to stuff. It reminds me, it just it feels kind of ahead of its time for being in the late 60s and, mm-hmm. you know, coming out the same year that John Wayne won an Oscar. Just, it's crazy that those two, these two scuzzy New York performances were up, up against that yeah. in the time frame. So for that, that was kind of surprising. I kind of knew it was going to be as, as depressing. I knew it wasn't uh, feel good, but uh, I don't know, I may have plumbed more depths than I imagined. You're kind of getting into our next topic too, which is a good good segue. Uh, Segways are always better when you point them out. I yeah, know. right. Yeah. So uh, just ask Paul Blart. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, did you? Didn't get enough. So did you like the like the editing of the flashbacks? I know. You, I know you. You said it's. It was. Uh, you know, sort of new for that era. But did it work for you in the movie? Yeah, I mean, I have nothing, not much to compare it to in terms of 70s or 60s cinema. Um, I thought it worked great as how this guy's memory works. Um, Part of, you know, feeling sorry for him or identifying him is, you know, you're going to spend time with this character. You could spend time, like, two hours with a horrible human being and just being with him, you can kind of identify with him after a while. And it was just, I thought it was interesting how it uh, it really sticks with him for almost the entire movie, I think. Maybe there's one scene or two that's that's not his vantage point, but kind of going through his, his uh, mental health, which is probably, uh, you know, he has fake confidence shining through something where he's, he's, you know, sincerely fucked up. So I thought he did a good job kind of uh, portraying that without being flashy about it or him, like, saying... Because he's not the kind of person that would ever bring that up, but that clues you into his character. So, speaking of the characters, did y'all like the characters? Like beyond the performances, did you like the characters? No, it's hard to like. I mean, yeah, yeah it's <clears throat> it's it's, it's such a loaded question when you talk about Joe Buck because you like I, I'm still coming at it from the angle of like I feel sorry for him mm-hmm. because and that's hardly a likable person right it's hard to find someone to root for in this movie for it, you 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 root because you know all you know prudist mentalities aside like you just hope that the buck finds a way to start you know hustling well and is you know, sells sex to people who want to pay him for it. And he's about to do that, and then, you know, the tragedy of life kind of falls upon him and right when things are getting better for him. I do think that's the most interesting choice in the movie is when he... Everything's going so well, it's about to break right for him. And he, yeah. that's when he, you find that he values his friendship more yeah. than, <clears throat> than his future as a hustler so well i think it's because it's the only thing that he's got yeah you know we it's i think it's a very you know intentioned choice to uh have him wearing obviously the cowboy hat and jacket but that bright red shirt with roses on it and you know rizzo's always wearing his trench coat that's too big like they they don't have anything like they've pawned all their possessions that they could pawn and so you know the op- like it's better to dance with the devil you know than the one you don't. Like mm-hmm. he would rather 
take the time to take to spend the money to bring Ratza down to Florida than, you know, try his hand at New York more because I think it's just terrifying by himself. I think the movie also strongly insinuates that Joe Buck has problems with sex. Is probably afraid of sex and maybe compensating for uh, you know, he may be blatantly homosexual. Yeah, I was going to say, he's scared yeah. of sexuality more than the Yeah, act. like, the one thing that goes right is he can't perform until she accuses him of being, you know, gay, and then he rises to the occasion. So maybe the thought of just having to go through this again versus this trip with his buddy, it's easier to kind of escape to that rather than kind of face... You know, the thing that he wants may be the thing that he's kind of afraid of succeeding at. Yeah, yeah, but then what? I mean, he's literally just left, like, alone. You know? Yeah, he's also, I mean, he's he's dumb and naive, so he could think that the, you know, it's the, like, what Ratso tells him is, like, the, the New York atmosphere is, you know, making him cough, and if he could only get to Florida, he probably believes it a little bit because he wants to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think he thinks too far ahead. No. When he makes that decision, other than... Oh, no, not that. I'm just talking about as a watcher. It's like... Oh. What is there? You know what I mean? I'm just like... I don't know. Right. It just feels like... Uh, a movie whose goal is to kind of just... Like, it's not to make you think, right? Because it's not relatable. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, what is the goal? Is it just, like, to watch the narrative? Or is it... Because, like, it just made me, like, just feel like <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? It's just like, fuck. Because it's not, like, inaccurate. And, It'd like, be... it's not outlandish. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think it's too far to try to draw a theme that he is, uh... He's a Texas cowboy for a reason. Right? That, that was on purpose. Like, there's this, uh... Ideal of the American West and American dream and American exceptionalism that maybe is... The movie saying is, you know, time has passed or it's not realistic or times have changed for this man that was the the mythic American man. You could say the clock has struck midnight on the cowboy. (laughs) (laughs) By what you're saying. I mean, I think it's like a reasonable thing to take away from it, which is, you know, the modernity of the city and people like Rizzo are, you know, that's the sad new direction for yeah. America. You said in a year where John Wayne is nominated for Best Actor, yeah. <laughs> you've got a you've got a movie coming out that is kind of, you know, an analogy for Hollywood. Like it's not these long westerns and these epic tales of, you know, success and individualism. It's a machine that grinds up the weakest parts and spits it out as pulp. Yeah. And it's similar with the I think you're 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 on the money with kind of uh, what I was thinking of. You know, he is, he is a John Wayne movie, and those kind of movies are, are gone or they're on their way out. There's this new wave of, of filmmakers that are trying to tell it like it is, more like cinema verite, trying to get it like the uh, the quote-unquote, like the, the real shit about right. American life. And that's kind of like the, like the Andy Warhol types are inviting Joe Buck to this party because it's like how quaint... Like, look at this cowboy in New York City. Let's bring him to this party. Because they're the filmmakers du jour, whereas, like, the real story is Ratso. This whole movie, the whole story is Ratso. 
and he's the guy who tags along and has like the genuine moment, whereas Joe Buck just smokes some dope and goes all cotton candy and, you know, like interrupt. It literally interrupts a performance by him just being so like, you know, consumable. How about uh, his favorite scenes? <laughs> Bad segue. <laughs> Especially in my head, I was thinking about. I'd read some of the differences between the book and the film. Mm. Have you read some of that? Yeah. Like super violent shit back in Texas. Yeah. Growing up, like gang rape and like where he's the raper and the raped. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, they imply that in the movie. Yeah, I just I, from what I read in the book. I didn't read the book. What I read on the internet of the book. Um, just, especially when he gets raped, it's just like, yeah. Um, but that kind of, it seems like it would make sense to have that more, be more prominent in the film to lead into some of the, to make the theme easier to grasp, maybe, mm-hmm. that he gives no shit who he fucks. Right. Gender aside, it doesn't matter to him anymore due to this thing that happened in the mm-hmm. past. Um, favorite, favorite scenes, I mean, I think that iconic line is iconic for a reason, especially after reading, like, what happened. Mm-hmm. Pretty pretty cool yeah yeah I like that story and um, like nothing horrible is happening at that moment <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're safe yeah. we can save our game yeah if it's if it's daytime in that movie normally it's like fine and I get that that plays into the midnight cowboy part of it but like it's like a it's like a horror movie where anytime the lights went down you're like oh no what's gonna happen <laughs> now but it's probably realistic for New York at that time especially if you're a sex people. worker yeah. yeah yeah homeless sex workers it's yeah. so funny watching uh, uh, Kelly was rewatching Mad Men and we just watched the episode where uh, where Roger and uh, where Roger gets mugged mm. with um, with Joan 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 mm. I wanted to call her Joni and I was like nope that's what Roger calls her. <laughs> Uh, and it's like, it's so clean and so like, hey, Buster, give me your wallet. <laughs> like, the way that you would expect like a mugging in the 40s. So I think that this was like, a mugging to be portrayed in New York in the 40s. Like, it was still very like gangster leaning. What was this on? Mad Men. I thought you said, I heard that as Mad TV in my head. And I was trying to be like... <laughs> What? About the same. And then Frank Caliendo <laughs> came out as George W. Bush. <laughs> What's the joke? It was okay. like, he does not have a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> Where's the funny? <laughs> right. um, but, yeah, it was it was interesting to, to see, you know, like, when the lights go out in New York from someone who, like, is actually giving a shit about portraying the real New York mm-hmm. or real parts of it. I do think that there's some, like, inherent like bias here as a New Yorker making this film trying to kind of extend what would be like the quarantine zone of unsafe areas because um, by all accounts like there's still you know the Upper East Side which is supposedly safe but then you know you go out to you know the Alphabet Streets and it's super dangerous but I'm rambling yeah I mean you feel safe when like at the beginning or when he's with you know, people for the night, and whenever he's he's not at night, he's pretty much constantly in danger. He's not anyone who can afford to even be homeless on, like, the Upper East Side. Right. Yeah, the wealthy homeless up there. <laughs> uh, the performances in the movie, we've already touched on. Uh, both of them are great, I think. Uh, yeah. Those are the performances, to me, that stand out the most. 
Um, I don't know if there's anything else to like truly evaluate here. But I'm surprised. I am surprised that like Hoffman didn't win whatever he was nominated. I don't know if he was nominated. Lead for lead. Got nominated for lead. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen the original True Grit, but mm. I've heard it. Some people think it's Wayne's best performance. So yeah, can't really argue with it without seeing it, kind of. But I would I would vote for Hoffman over Voigt if I was voting. Yes, I would too. Yeah. Interesting. I'd probably go Voigt over Hoffman. <clears throat> Maybe just, they're both for lead. I would consider Hoffman. I think he would have won in supporting. I don't know what won that year, but I feel like that would be a slam dunk for that. We'll we'll get to this in a minute. Not a great year for movies, nineteen sixty nine. But mm-hmm. we'll talk about it. In a Interestingly, while. the uh, the first person he has uh, a night with and ends up paying her, she got nominated for best supporting actress for like a super short scene. Oh, I don't know. I'm I a fan of short was, scenes. She was good. She yeah. was good. That was actually my, I think, my favorite scene in the movie was how it how it starts off terrifying. like so fun for him, and then it just winds up just you know with him paying her and him just being like, okay, sure, yeah, I'll pay you. How much do you need? Ten, ten bucks. Yeah, twenty bucks. His walls at cab fare. Yeah, fifteen. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, how impressive were the uh, technical achievements? Beyond, I would touched on the editing the editing was something that jumped out to me too editing direction and whatever they did for scout location or production design yeah. like i said this was yeah. the most infected disgusting city i've ever seen in my fucking life yeah now how do you feel about the soundtrack of this movie if you bought the soundtrack what if it's just like 12 tracks 12 tracks and <laughs> 11 of them are Everybody's talking by Harry Nelson, and then twelve is uh, a dialogue scene. <laughs> and then one of them's a, a comedy skit. <laughs> uh, it's it's funny because uh, you know one of the favorite my favorite things that I've watched this year is Russian Doll, mm-hmm. which also has a repeating Harry, Harry Nelson, Nelson song. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I think they did a better job picking the one for Russian Doll because I have not tired of that song yet. Did you feel like this song fit the movie that well? Uh, the, the disconnection, I guess, maybe. David's got a little story about what Dutton, right? Yeah, yeah, just for just for our listeners. <laughs> Hot um, takes off the internet. <laughs> okay, we're going to go with the Harry Nilsson song, so this is Everybody's Talking. Um, actually covered by Harry Nilsson. He didn't write it, but he's a famous songwriter who wrote, like, one and a bunch of songs that got covered by others. Um, made more famous. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> They were going to use a a, film, a song he was writing. I guess the Lord must live in New York City, or or uh, seems like, like it would make more sense. I know that song. Yeah, it's a version by Jim Croce, I believe that I've heard. Yeah, yeah I think that's a cover of him. I was gonna say it's pretty gross, <laughs> but he didn't finish the song in time. So there is a uh, his cover was from 1968, which is the year before. So they used that. I guess they were pot committed to Nilsson. Yeah, so he was like, like I already cast a check, bro. Yeah. <laughs> what else you got? Interesting. I, I like the song and I like the cover. Uh, it doesn't really make sense in context and you hear it a lot, but I still think it's a good song. Yeah, it's a good song. It is a good Watch song. the movie the first time, though, and it's the first song and you're like, okay. Yeah, he's walking yeah. around New York, like uh, <laughs> strutting around. Yeah, yeah by like, the fourth, fifth time, you're like, I don't get it. But, um,. It's kind of a pleasant song, but it talks about, like, uh, you know, the opening lyric, people talking about me, I don't hear a word they're saying. Yeah. Like, he's he's obviously, you know, he does not know what he's getting into. 
I, I read that into that selection, I guess. Yeah. His his view of what New York City is going to be like and what it actually is going to be like is two different things. It, it also makes sense that a, that a movie about failed con men kind of got conned by the artist they hired to write a song for them. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the, it's a year for me that also has another another uh, movie with a song that has, just sticks out like a sore thumb, which is Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, oh, yeah, right yeah. in the middle of... Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah, it's always just been a weird, a really weird moment in that movie for me. A better example of a buddy movie that ends in death. (laughs) 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 All right, the big question. The big question. I don't know. The one that the big question. Always enjoy. You guys still like me? (laughs) (laughs) Still friends? (laughs) Will you marry me? Uh, Of of those involved with the film, uh, is anybody's top number one achievement? Was it closest for anybody? Well, it's not so, Voight, right? Let's start, start, not let's start with the director. <laughs> start with the director. Start with the director. What else has that guy done? John Schlesinger. John Schlesinger. 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 He has done other things. Uh, he got nominated for Best Director at the Academy Awards three times. For what other movies? Four years prior to this for Darling, and two years after this for Sunday, Bloody Sunday. I'm not real familiar with either of those movies. Darling is Julie Christie. She won an Oscar for uh, it. Yeah. Um, I think it's like London in the 60s kind of thing. In, Sunday, Bloody Sundays. Uh, that's Peter Finch of Network. Yeah. Uh, I forget the other two. But it's a Peggy love... Peggy Ashcroft, Glenn Jackson, Murray Head. Yeah, it's a love triangle between two men and a, and a woman. Yeah, uh, and bi- just, bisexual thing. Yeah, just goes through that. Northern Ireland. It's like you were like trying to... Not let David flex his knowledge. Yeah, I was trying to get in there. <laughs> yep. So um, no. he did. Oh, he did Marathon Man. He did the next best thing, starring Madonna and Rupert Everett. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, for real. Different Marathon Man. Yeah. No, no, no. This is uh, Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, he did. Um, he also did uh, the Sally Field hit Eye for an Eye. I remember Ooh. seeing that. He did, uh, not, this not is probably movie. my favorite. Uh, I watched this uh, a long time ago. You guys ever seen Billy Liar? No. No. Tom Courtenay, it's like, Lon- also London in the 60s, plays like a, a uh, arrested development young man trying to be a man, get a job. But the whole movie is like his flights of fancy and his uh, exaggerations and stuff. Hmm. Tom Court, I think it's Tom Courtenay's in it, is really good. So I, I'm just, I have to go I'm looking, man over this. I wonder if so. Just knowing, obviously, I know like three of the twenty films just got directed, but like Midnight Cowboys, Sunday Bloody Sunday, and the next best thing, which is the only other one I've seen, that's the Madonna movie. They all deal with like gay and bisexual stuff. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was like his. I mean, some of them are adapted, so it's not like he was writing them. But I wonder if that was something he like enjoyed studying. Know. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't know. Film. Yeah. Well, how about John Voight? It's the best John Voight performance? Hey, I do want to point out, though, the, the person who adapted the screenplay for Midnight Cowboy, you may not know a lot of what he did. He wrote the screenplay for Serpico, you know, probably stuff that oh, you, guys, really? you guys know, yeah. Nice. But uh, he the uh, Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award is the award that's presented at Sundance for uh, the Dramatic Jury for Writing. Neat. So, that was neat. he's got a legacy. That His I daughter know. played Annie in this movie. <laughs> Crazy Annie. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Wow. How do you... Cast your daughter in that role? Hold on. Yeah. It's like, hey, uh, my 18, 19-year-old daughter, I've got a role for you. How How would you like to star in a big Hollywood film where you get raped in a car and get run off by another gang who breaks up the rape 
and presumably rapes you again. Like, fucking no. Sorry, Dad, I'm busy. <laughs> too too busy with school to be in your rape movie. You'll be in this rape movie or your no dinner. <laughs> you go to your room. No dinner. I haven't seen a lot of what John Voight is like known for. Um I don't know why I put that in air quotes. <laughs> Quote unquote known for. Yeah. Um I do probably like him better in deliverance. Um another, you know, upbeat buddy comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I would need to see Coming Home also to really know because yeah. that's a It's what he won the Academy Award for. Not that's not necessarily right. a crowning achievement, but yeah, I also haven't seen that. That's a big blink and for me. For a movie that I think is probably underrated just because it came out when we were teenagers, so we all make fun of it. He's a really good villain in Varsity Blues. He really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he is. Mission Impossible. I'm just laughing. Yeah, yeah he's pretty good in that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the he's in the Rainmaker. The Angelina Jolie, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. He oh plays, shit! He plays, he plays FDR in Pearl Harbor. I totally forgot he's at Rainmaker. He's he the opposing really attorney in Rainmaker. He's yeah, really he's good. really good. That's true. Um, he's coming up in the Republican, like right wing made Roe v. Wade movie, he's playing Warren Burger. Well, he's also <laughs> Zoolander's dad in Zoolander in the coal mine. He also <laughs> plays Principal Dimly in the movie Bratz. With a Z. I feel like we're getting further away from contenders oh, for the John Boyd crowd he's also, here. He's also really good as Howard Cosell and Ali. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I forgot he was in Tropic Thunder. He's one of the persons who loses to Oscar. Uh, <laughs> he's so upset. He's like, God damn it! <laughs> he gets real angry. Apparently he's really good in Ray Donovan. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it. I think Ray Donovan is a really boring show. Yeah. So from that, I would say this is my best for him, but tons of blind spots for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Howard Cosell and Ali. How about Dustin Ali. Hoffman? No, Hook. I'd say graduate for me is I think my favorite. Either that or uh, you know he is good in Rain Man. I'm going Marathon Man. I think hmm. his this is not his best uh, John Schlesinger performance for me. Um, I think he's better in the Graduate. Kramer versus Kramer is very good too. Good performances. Yeah, was, Tootsie is he's great in Tootsie. Oh my, oh my gosh, god, Tootsie. Tootsie! Yeah, he's incredible. In Tootsie, Tootsie, yeah, that's an incredible that's, movie. Then again, we're talking about like a, but then you have a Hall of Fame actor. And then you have Hook. Yeah, right. Yeah. And he's also in Kung Fu Panda. Shifu. Yeah. He's yeah. great as Shifu. He's great as one of the Fockers. He probably won't be in the Kung Fu the next Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, probably not. Why's that? Why'd you have to be a butt? So, for butts. <laughs> so I'd say I'd say no for him, but he's he's got a lot of like yeah, it could be a top ten and it would be yeah. okay. Uh, here's what I don't know the answer to: was the film financially successful? Yes, as as an X-rated movie. Well, it was X for three period, right? And then it became R. Three point two million dollar budget, forty four million. Nice. Um, just for inflation, that's about a billion. Yeah, <laughs> but it costs. Nine hundred million. That's just cab fare now. <laughs> you think this is important to film history? Yes. Influential. I think movie. it has to be. I don't know. I don't. I don't know a lot. <clears throat> but I don't know enough to say this for sure. But like a best picture Oscar winner that focuses on, like, I mean, it is a summer of love, but like on gay themes and questioning your sexuality. 
Yeah, that was, has to be huge in 1969. It was the first movie with like LGBT portrayal to win Best Picture. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Man, what was the next? It's not like it's common now. You know what I mean? Oh, you don't know that one, do you, David? Don't. <laughs> We're looking just Patton. for any other or best, best picture winner. Did you see Patton? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got some crackpot theories here. <laughs> talky talk. Uh, I I do want to jump in while you I guys are thinking about the other light. movies that fit this bill. I think it's also really important because it's it's from my one of the this is like a turning point for movies where New York is a character. New York City is a character. It's written it's directed by a New Yorker about like supposedly started that trope. Yeah. Mm. Like supposedly like the authentic New York experience. When you were talking about the cinematography and the flashbacks, I was thinking about in private life whenever they do the conversations or the flashbacks about the boat accident. It's very reminiscent of the way that Joe Buck is thinking about sorry, not in private life. Ordinary people. Ordinary people. Yeah. Uh, I've just talked about ordinary people so much in this podcast. I was trying to expel it from mm-hmm. my memory, um, but in ordinary people, it's just it's that that very same. And that movie is also very New York, um, even though it's no that movie Chicago. Mm, never mind. But it's like it's it's that like the computer reacted to your error. <laughs> it. Yeah, it cuts a flashback as as a memory, right. which is like a this we're changing scenes, right. or like a soft dissolve into memory, you know. Yeah. So separate that was separate from the New York point, but like well, definitely said it's influential at least in uh, in for one example, which is uh, found a um, a best picture winning director who uh, cites this as one of the ten greatest movies ever made um, in the BFI. Yeah, sound, the sight and sound poll. Tarantino. No, um, no, those are all like Asian movies. Okay, his. Uh, the uh, Peter Farrelly, director of the Green Book. <laughs> hey, um, cites this as one of his uh, ten greatest movies of all time. So that's uh, a couple other smaller directors. They got three director votes in the. Uh, Does he like Voight took the uh, SAG minimum? Did y'all see that? Mm-hmm. Just to get the part. Got paid scale. Yeah. What um? What are Peter Farrelly's other movies on there? Uh, That's a good question. I'm I'm curious because no, Peter, Peter Farrelly, better known for directing comedies, slap with his brother. Yeah. All right. Here are his ten: Airplane, Good, Makes Borat. Sense. Okay. Makes sense. It's a Wonderful Life. Borat was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaws, Midnight Cowboy, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Reservoir Dogs, Schindler's List, Sideways, and The Wizard of Oz. So that sounds a lot like a like film students like required watch. Sounds like my top ten list like ten years ago. It also sounds like a person or like whatever Sideways came out when I was like Sideways is great. A person in their fifties would have like a similar list like that. He he uh, actually has a very long essay on all his choices and like the movies that didn't make his cut like. Um, he, these one, are going to be the interesting ones. He uh, he had to cut. Let's see: The Sixth Sense, Titanic, Animal House, Some Like It Hot, The Graduate, Something Wild, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, Bruno. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, well, there's only room for one Josh Baron Cohen movie. Titanic. See, I prefer a choice like Titanic from a director though, because I don't want to read that list and it all be AFI's top ten movies of all time. No, but they I should be good them, movies. 
It's their, it's their favorite movies. It's not what they think are their best movies. Yeah, it's just weird that somebody talented like that would have a movie that I don't... I think the Titanic is, like, categorically bad at things. Okay. Like, fucking awful. Mm-hmm. It's... The the camera work is not one of them. But that's not all you're doing as a director. Right. You should know that the dialogue is shit. You know what I mean? But that, sure. That's what I'm saying. But it is a different level, having directed movies to appreciate a movie on that level. It's like, I could never do that kind of thing. Ethan... You can never po- be part possibly, of it. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. It's... It's... <clears throat> and I also don't... I'm not saying I don't accept your rejection of it, but it makes sense to me. Like... You don't necessarily love Peter Farrelly movies. So it makes sense that one of his movies that almost made his top ten is Titanic, which you don't like. Right. I mean, I think Borat's a better choice than Titanic, for sure. Because I think Borat's like a brilliant comedy. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking out there, but it's super original. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I really no, no, that's, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> It's interesting. We were talking about the, the director of the most recent Best Picture winner. Yeah. Um, he did set out and made a better movie than Midnight Cowboy, though. So good for him. Are you talking about stuck on you? No, I'm talking about fucking great book. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one of the best movies in its genre of failed cowboy gigolo film? X-rated failed. Cowboy I like movies. Dallas Buyers Club better. <laughs> <laughs> um, again. Hard to define what that is. Is it one of the best dramas I've ever seen? Is it one of the ten best dramas? No. What about New York City movies. No. Yeah. Probably not because if I'm if I'm what about like buddy dramas if I'm picking one CD New York movie I'm picking Taxi Driver probably yeah probably so I'm gonna, yeah I, I'm I'm Even more Serpico. on the Serpico side yeah. I love Serpico because I think the one thing that this movie doesn't really have that those movies do for me is someone that I can just clearly root for like even though like. Like Travis Bickle descends, Driver, yeah. he descends into madness, but I just find that there's like he feels like more of a protagonist to me. His yeah. compass is surely movie. broken, but a lot of the actions that he takes but are really just feel kind of, just. Yeah. 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 You're he sympathetic also, to him. Yeah. I think part of that is because he lets you in more than like Joe Buck and, and Rizzo do with his inner dialogue mm-hmm. that you're getting to to True. Be present for yeah. There's a really op- opaque sheer over both of these characters. Like <clears throat> what TJ, I think you said. Like I don't know what to think about like the you know about these characters. Like because they don't they just like present them and there's that's it. It's them and their their interactions. And there's really no no deeper you can read into them. And it's hard because they don't have to be relatable. No, like Dirk, I don't relate to like Dirk Diggler at all, but he's a great character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and somebody you root for to like get out of the, especially when the bad shit starts. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But with this, it was just like fuck. I know they're not getting out of it. They've got nothing to work with. You know what I mean? You- not, not to ascribe, you know. Um, what they were thinking, but it could have just been, you know, like you said, this is a turning point. This is an experimental, you know, thumb in the eye of normal Hollywood. It could be part of the rebellion, like there's no yeah, way in. totally. Because there shouldn't be. It could have been like what Schlesinger was thinking. You brought up uh, buddy drama. Is there anything else that comes to mind for buddy drama? Because uh, I have one that's weirdly, I've been thinking about a lot during this talk because it parallels for me with the, you know, we were talking about how they could each represent sort of the evolution of the American male. Mm -hmm. And this movie also kind of has the same feel to me. Um, And that's The Master, which is two great Mm. performances leading the way. One of them uh, very kind of unhinged and two different types of people sort of buddied up. Yeah. Um, And they also had similar reactions to both those movies too, which is that I wasn't terribly... 
I didn't feel super invested in the plots of the movie, but the performances were incredible. It's hard. There's just not many because I feel like the easiest way to take that is just to turn them into comedies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I just watched Other Guys again the other day. It was such a good movie. <laughs> like another Hoffman one, like Brain Man. You know, one guy is has got you know problems. The other guy's kind of a con man. It's a buddy drama. I mean, it's a dramedy, but yeah, yeah it's definitely it is a drama. more much more comedic. Than right, this it's played like times. but it's a drama. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see on here French Connection is listed as uh, one of the great buddy dramas. See, hmm. the thing about this movie that I'm just failing with a comparison is these guys have no agency in their lives. It almost feels like. Whereas in uh, French Connection, just as an example yeah. of two guys in New York City, they are kind of in control. Or even if they're following this guy, they at least have agency. Right. Where in Midnight Cowboy, things just kind of happen to these characters. And there's nothing that could like trump this in genre. Not that we need to dwell on the genre thing, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, right. This isn't like a law movie or a cop movie. Like this is just like a movie. It's not a romance. It's just. Mm-hmm. Just a like run of the mill drama. There's nothing else to call it. You know what I mean? How do you think the movie has aged? You think it's still a relevant movie today? I mean, I think one thing that hurts it a little bit is well, maybe it doesn't hurt it, but it's not universally relevant now. Is just because New York has changed. Like yeah, I feel like New York's a big character in this movie, and it's an old New York that doesn't exist anymore. Sure, that, but it's also like the nightmare of a city. Or like the things your your parents fear about when you move to the city from the country or from a suburb or something. Mm, true. I think it's a, like I still thought it was pretty experimental and ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. So I would probably say yes, it stands up because there's still I things. Think so too. There's things that are genuinely like uh, uh, some things that are repulsive and shocking in the movie and. And are, are moving, even if they're, like, nihilistic. I think a lot of it holds up in time, too, because of the mental state of Buck. Mm, you yes. know what I mean? Like, since he's kind of broken, he's not seeing it as, you know, as the world sees it. He's seeing it in a different kind of way. I think his, uh, current society is more sympathetic to people like that right. than maybe back in the day. Yeah. So I was trying to find the answer to the question, what was the next movie that had, you know, LGBTQ uh, themes in it, the one best picture? And I instead got sidetracked thinking about prostitutes and sex, different subject, and then picking movies that I didn't know what they were about, and thought, there's some really good candidates, not knowing what these movies are about, that could be about, (laughs) like, a prostitute, such as Gentleman's Agreement. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Going my way. Not. No, it's not. It happened one night. <laughs> the Lost Weekend. Definitely not. <laughs> my Fair Lady. The best years of my life. <laughs> Sorry. I was just having, having fun over here. I'm going to get down. Serious. The, bra- the Broadway Melody. I was doing the opposite of the movie Midnight Cowboy, and I was having a good time over here. <laughs> Return of the King. <laughs> <laughs> the two towers Lord of the Rings Oh and I didn't get down to the T's Terms of endearment clearly You can't <laughs> You can't take it with you <laughs> The Hurt Locker oh, God. Oh, God. I believe that movie's called Teeth <laughs> It does not win this picture I'd rather watch Midnight Cowboy again than Teeth <laughs> Slum, Slumdog Millionaire <laughs> 
He's a very successful prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, oh, and then a main for all seasons. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I got one more thing. John, this is like Jimmy Carter's favorite movie. <laughs> I saw that. Gene Siskel's too. He screamed it in the White House. It's so weird. In like the late seventies, Jimmy Carter would be like. Another show to Midnight Cowboy. Who's coming? There's there's an interesting history of presidents screening movies in the White House, though. Sometimes they're not the best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, the Birth of a Nation was the first one. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy's Jimmy Carter's parties were the worst. That's what it sounds like. Hey, who wants come over and see some peanuts and watch Midnight Cowboy? It'll let me great. talk. Let me talk to you about Israel and Palestine. <laughs> That's a, yeah. Oh no, let's just watch Midnight Cowboy again. It's like okay, so. Joe Buck and Ratso Rizzo are like Israel and Palestine. <laughs> one of them's sick and dying, the other one's stupid. <laughs> really uncommon bedfellows. <sighs> Alright, should this Someone be... tell Palestine they're gay. They'll be better after that. The condemned building is the Middle East. <laughs> we just we just had someone... They're all just trying to get now. to the Gaza Strip. <laughs> they get there, it'll all be okay. Alright, Brett, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. So this be the talk of fame. Who wants to go first? Let's hear from David first. Uh, well, there are things I appreciate in this movie. I think I'm just a no. Um, uh, it is, uh, it's impressive to me. But I think I'm with TJ's. I just could not find a way in. And I just found it too miserable-list. I, I think I understand the themes where it's going going for, but maybe it's more revolutionary in the context of Hollywood than it should be entrenched in our talk of fame. That's my thought. All right. Chris. I am really disappointed that the Wikipedia page list of dresses worn on the red carpet at the Academy Awards ceremonies doesn't have a picture for each entry. Because that feels like something that they should all have. Yeah. yeah. Like, I want to see what the black and white Valentina dress of Julia Roberts was when she wore it to the 73rd Academy Awards in 2001. It's, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a no. This felt like a, uh, like, a, like, a, like a turtle in a terrarium. Like, I want it to be there, and I don't want it as a pet, but I recognize that some people appreciate it <laughs> and think that it's great. And it fits their lifestyle, and they can do whatever, you know, benefits you can get from a pet it's just it's just not a movie that i connect with or learn from at all um so from an academic perspective i'm i'm a no on it and then once i kind of skip past that it comes to a personal taste argument and there's nothing about this movie that tastes good like i do i do not want to ever rewatch this uh i know that you didn't ask the question because we play fast and loose with the gauntlet so we don't seem so stodgy and rigid but i would not recommend this movie to people um, oh God, no! That's a beautiful dress. Why is now Wikipedia? You should be an editor on Wikipedia. Uh, look up that Valentino dress. Um, but yeah, I'm just if it fails the 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 reasons for it being the talk of fame for me for academics, uh, then it goes to personal, and for that, it's a no. Also, TJ, you have a no. There's for somebody who loves the Oscars more than most people. And is willing to like love all these movies. There's just no easy way in to enjoy this in any way. Um, great performances. Uh, respect the filmmaking a lot, um, and respect what the movie did. I just like I said. There's just no like 
the way David summed up what I was saying earlier was very accurate. There's just no way in. There's something almost standoffish or pretentious about the, like, of course there's not a fucking way in. It's the real fucking right. America that it's like, all right. Yeah. Calm <laughs> <laughs> <Calm> down. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, so I'm a pretty hard no. Uh, yeah, this was my second watch. I was not looking forward to it. I didn't I didn't enjoy my first watch, so... Trying to save myself for last, I felt my my vote might be the most obvious, but um, yeah, no, definitely, it's still a no for me. I, I like the first act of this movie, and I think I like the last act of this movie, but the middle, once the movie just starts kicking the characters and the the over story and over again, it, I find it a trudge to get through a little bit because of the constant kicking <laughs> of of these poor people who just wound up in this situation like, I'm, I'm okay for punishment of characters one of my favorite books is jude the obscure thomas hardy book where <clears throat> a main character is is constantly like tortured in his life he thinks by god i just think there needs to be a better reason for it than just happenstance right Hey, TG, will you write down this timestamp? I think David just talked about a book for the last 30 oh, seconds. Shit. <laughs> you know, my one of my favorite books is the same way. It's the, the Bert and Ernie storybook. And uh, <laughs> Bert is tortured by all the things Ernie does by moving the cookies from one place to another. So well, it's very similar. So before we move on, I guess it would be a four no votes. I do want to follow up on the question that TJ asked. He said that 1969 was kind of a poor year for movies. Uh-huh. But I will say... That another movie that we have watched for homework recently yeah. was nominated for Best Picture. We talked about it. It was the one that clearly should have won out of these two. Yeah. <laughs> the only one I two. Yeah. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Yeah. Is it also Anne of the Thousand Days and Z? Yeah. So they and shoot horses, else? don't they? That's and the Hello year. Dolly. That's the, they shoot horses, don't they? They get nominated, I guess. It's the same year, but it did right, not. Yeah. I think it has the most nominations without Best Picture. And then other nomin- uh, movies with nominations that year are uh, uh, The Sterile Cuckoo, <laughs> The Happy Ending. That's, a That's what this the movie was missing. <laughs> Sterile Cuckoo is Liza Minnelli's first Oscar nomination. She's like a... Bird? She, she plays Marianne Pookie Adams. <clears throat> yes. So... She's out of a mental institution. There's, there's one movie that I know I I, I haven't seen it, uh, but I, I I would like to. But it's a, it's a movie that is beloved from this year. That I don't, I think it got maybe one Oscar nomination, and that's The Wild Bunch. Um, mm-hmm. Is another movie that I could possibly see myself thinking is better. Yeah, than it got this nominated one. for best uh, best original screenplay along with uh, The Damned, which is something I've heard of. I don't know why, and Easy Rider. Oh, Easy Rider. Easy Rider. So Easy Rider is more of like the like revolutionary style for a movie that I think is holds up more as an enjoyable movie. Yes. Even though it is a little nihilistic too. It is sad. Yeah. Yeah. And John Williams nominated for Best Original Score. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned John Williams and something just went. <laughs> A literal light just came on. Yeah, John Williams in 1969 nominated for The Reavers. <sighs> Steve McQueen. Cool. Probably something to it. <sighs> well, take us out, Brizzy! That's it. Don't take us out yet. We need the There's next There's an homework. important question. Uh, Britt's doing it. <laughs> Wait, That's part of him taking us out. Yeah. Okay. Is it, is, is it the new question? We can do it in the new question now. Is this, is this better than Green Book? I think Green Book's better. You think Green Book's better? Yeah, I like Green Book better, only because if I'm going to apply the same test I applied to this, 
then, you know, academically, I think Green Book is eh. But for personal enjoyment, I enjoyed it. Gen- I generally enjoyed Green Book. I would is rather it? watch Green Book, but I, I think this is academically better. Okay. I do, I too. I think Green Book has no ambition, where this is at least ambitious. In the yeah. telling a new kind of story for the time, I respect the, this movie. The more. filmmaking is is kind of new. I think that's interesting moving forward on the podcast because I think for the first time it clicked with me that y'all will give movie better marks be purely on ambition, and I won't. Which is interesting. Not purely. I, will, I had them close. I will <clears> deduct <throat> points for ambition for being unambitious. Yeah. Do what now? I will deduct points for a lack of ambition. I don't think I give any well, extra credit for ambition. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> if you're comparing two movies and one's ambitious and one's not, you're gonna automatically. I also think this was one like ambitious. Will have more. I also think this movie was. It's less. not a slight deal. We don't have to argue about no. it. I'm just saying that it's something y'all do that I would never consider. I mean, to go behind the curtain a little bit, that's kind of the reason why we always like when there's the four of us because TJ, right. TJ and I are more <laughs> the common movie viewers, and you guys are more. Yeah. Old school, not old school, but you do have an academic bent to your criticism sometimes that we are sometimes lacking. Also, and one other difference between us and on Green Book is that I I thought the acting in this movie was great, and I thought that I thought Vigo was awful, for example, True. in Green Book. So that's a big difference for me with on movies where I don't really like anything but the like where the the performances are the standouts in both movies. For most people, right? Maybe, it's I'll, a, maybe I'll think about it for next time. But maybe I'm getting too hung up on: is this a better movie versus do you like this movie more than Green Book? Yeah, you know what I mean the distinction. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, <coughs> well, I can't imagine talking to somebody who'd rather watch this instead of Green Book on no. like a second watch. <laughs> it's like yeah. I'd rather watch Zoolander than Schindler's List. It's not a better movie. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know, but I'd rather, I might rather watch <laughs> Yeah, it depends, on, it depends on what you watch movies for. Yeah. And so that's why it's such a sub- subjective question. Right. So the, is it better than Green Book question is so, like, loaded. Mm-hmm. It's not, is this the it's, Great Wall? It's meant to be. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the Great Wall of <laughs> these two like, years. Like, could I watch Green Book doing laundry and have a decent time? Yeah. If I was doing laundry during this, I would probably hang myself on the sweat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I had a... If I had to vote for one of these for Best Picture in some sad, like, <laughs> only these two movies got nominated, yeah. I would just hold hold my nose and vote for this, if, I think. If right. Peter Fairley went back in time and gave birth to this movie also. And it eradicated <laughs> Butch Cassidy <laughs> <and Sunday's laughs> somehow. If he did that, if Peter Fairley was the, <coughs> was the like, uh, yesterday Beatles movie, <laughs> he goes back, wait, y'all haven't heard of John Schlesinger? <laughs> <laughs> He just makes Marathon Man and that. It's, He's like, you're, you're good, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But it is close. It's very close. You got homework, Brian? I do. And so, um, my homework is uh, moving. Yeah, it's another Best Picture winner. Keeping on with uh, our trend lately. Uh, I think one for the year 1940. It's going to be an older one. And it's Alfred Hitchcock's only Best Picture winner, Rebecca. So we're going to be watching Rebecca. Rebecca. It is not currently streaming anywhere on a major platform that I know of, so if y'all at home are wanting to uh, watch this, you'll have to rent it the old-fashioned way. It's like two ninety nine though, on Voodoo or Apple. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been, I think none of my podcast mates here have ever seen it, and it's been a very long time since I have. I'm so. excited. I've wanted to for a very long time. Yeah. 
There's a good chance you can go to your public library and get this movie. That's, That's true. true. That mm-hmm. is very true. So if you really want to watch this movie, there's a good chance, and I know it's not streaming on uh, Canopy or whichever one is partner public libraries, but <coughs> use that. Show up at your public library. It's good for you know the world for people to have libraries. Yes, agreed. <laughs> Look, I just checked out just this, watch. this podcast brought to you by libraries. <laughs> I just checked out Just Watch for Rebecca just to see, and it says, oops, this movie is, has no streaming offer as it is still running in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> it's an 80-year run. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't know. So, good luck. Are you on the right, Rebecca? Yeah. Well, yeah. 1941. Yep. You know numbers. Uh, it was one of the ones that was like nothing on that Google Doc, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> I'm excited to... Good, so, good pick, Brent. If you want to watch it, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Brent's got a DVD. Hop on Amazon <laughs> and buy it. All right. Well, that, that'll do it. This is Talkie Talk, podcast for the media by us. He's got it. <laughs> Please subscribe. Please clap like a baby. What are you doing? <laughs> so it's not loud. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Hello. Clearly. Yes. You know how you clap with your fingertips so that you're clapping so loud? Hey, keep talking, Brett. <laughs> Ready? You don't have to clap. I'm so confused. So, uh, yeah, join our Facebook groups, Movies by Us, TV by Us, Games by Us. You can... Uh, what am I supposed to do? Not clap? <laughs> what world is this? Uh, give us a rating. Thank you, Willow Walkers. And thank you, Boorie. Boorie! And Willow Walkers. Yeah, y'all were still doing general things with the walkers. Down old dusty roads. Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that 